Welcome to episode 25 of the Pokemon Gold podcast. James Carew, co-editor of Pokemon Goal, and you're listening to the 25th installment of the podcast partner to Ireland's only football magazine. Each episode looks at the beautiful game from around the world through historic matches, players, personalities, and more, exploring football culture in all its forms. The Pokemon Goal magazine is over 70 pages of quality feature writing, artwork, photography, and illustration from contributors from across the globe. You can order your copy for worldwide delivery at pogmagold.com, where you'll find other items such as the Pogmagold Soccer Club sweater and footballs in conjunction with charity Alive and Kicking. On today's episode, we're visiting a country with a rich football history that we're perhaps not as exposed to in this part of the world, but which has also given us some of the finest players ever to grace the game. In the latest issue of the Pokemon Gold magazine, we profile one such player in the guise of the great Eusebio, who, while most football historians argue over the pecking order of Pele versus Maradona, seem universal on who occupies number three on the list of all-time greats, the Black Pearl. I'm of course talking about Portugal, and today I'm joined by brothers Albert and Barney Carter Phillips, hosts of Long Ball Football, a weekly podcast exploring the domestic game in the homeland of Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> Welcome to the Pogba Gold podcast, Albert and Barney. Hello, James. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. I'm excited to chat about football. Yeah, I suppose the first thing, lads, is you're not Portuguese. So, <laughs> where are you from and why Portugal? Um, well, I think me and Barney have slightly different answers to that question. Well, obviously, we're both from, we're both from England. We are born in London. Um, uh, and I think I, I kind of started the Portuguese craze among us i i had um it's quite a long story i'll try and i'll try and make it short uh, i had a, i had a, a connection to portugal the country first basically uh when i was uh a bit younger i decided as a life decision i wanted to try and learn a new language you know a challenge i wanted to set myself for various reasons i chose portuguese uh, and that gave me the opportunity to start going to portugal to try and speak to people to improve my language skills basically um and then because naturally I'm a big football fan, I, you know, I'm a, I, I support an English team and the English national team. Um, it just made logical sense that when I went to Portugal to try and go to football matches uh, and equally when I went to restaurants, they would show football in, in the restaurants on the television. So I began watching a lot of Portuguese football as a way of kind of connecting to the country. And then obviously when the pandemic happened and we couldn't travel as much, that uh, desire to be connected again to Portugal, a place that I wanted to be but couldn't be, kind of increased. And um, 
and yeah, I started watching a lot of football and then me and Barney would chat about it. And, you know, let's be honest about it, a healthy dose of boredom when you're kind of stuck at home. I don't think either of us were working at that time. And then and we just had this amazing thing to chat about, a new world to discover. Um, and then we quickly from there decided to branch out and try doing this crazy thing of recording our, our conversations, basically. And, and and here we are today. And yourself, Barney, what, what was it that appealed to you about Portuguese football? Well, see, so yeah, it's, it's similar to that, but I mean, I, I don't, I don't really have a football team that I sort of say I'm a fan of. Um, and I got a bit bored of watching the Premier League and and yeah. I was aware of, you know, I've loved football as a whole. Like, so I was aware of the Portuguese League and of many through the players they produced and come over to the Premier League. And, you know, Cristiano is an excellent example of that. But so, yeah, I was I, I wanted to find a, a new footballing culture really and, and with Albert's connection to Portugal I've also really liked the country as well like I've been there quite a, a lot of times and it felt like a really interesting f- league to throw yourselves into because there's, there's just so many stories and, and I think one thing that we found since we started is like when when you start to dig a little deeper because even the, the culture in Portugal as well is very focused on I'm sure we're going to talk about this more in a second, but focus on the big three teams, Benfica, yeah. Porto and Sporting. And when when you, and that's all, that's that's across the whole country. And once we've delved a little deeper, found these stories of these smaller clubs, these players, their journeys, it's, it was absolutely fascinating. So yeah, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been a joy to, to, to do it really. I mean, we'll jump into it shortly, but that's what we love to do on Pogma Goal is find these, stories and countries clubs that you don't know so much about well like you say once you scratch a little bit below the surface it's fascinating but before we do that on all our episodes we like to ask our guests how they first got interested in football and i'll ask the same of you so i'll go to you first albert oh well i mean maybe from you barney because barney's my older brother for those that don't know so i'm not sure because barney does tell an interesting does make an interesting point, which me and Barney have a fairly unique football upbringing in that we were both massive football fans from a very young age, but we didn't really have a footballing identity. I remember very clearly, uh, very vividly, that when we were younger, we supported, and I say that with quotation marks, Manchester United for mm-hmm. the first few years of my life. And, and I sort of went with that for a couple of years. And then I remember having this moment where I thought, hang on a second, why, why do we support Manchester United? We have no family from there. What's the connection? So I asked my dad, who had been the one to sort of say we support Manchester United. Dad, why do we support Manchester United? And he sort of shrugged his shoulders and went, I don't know, aren't they the best? And in that moment, I had this realisation <laughs> that my dad is not really a football fan and, and so he doesn't support Manchester United and this whole thing is not, um, is, a, is you know, a lie. So from then on, we've kind of been on this, me and Barney have been on almost separate roads of discovering what football means to us and, and it's met in the middle in Portugal in some sense. But um, I remember going back to when, when I was younger, a big moment, for example, I spent a few years where I thought I was a Liverpool fan and that all came down to the famous Istanbul Champions League final. I decided to support Liverpool after that final and not because they'd won the Champions League, but because they'd had that incredible game. And I think from then I, I realised at a young age that what I liked about football wasn't necessarily um, teams or players or managers. It was uh, moments. It was yeah. kind of uh, events. Um, I have since actually found my footballing home in England. I support Leighton Orient, which is sort of the football league club in in London, closest to where we live. I could have supported Arsenal or Tottenham. I live equally close to those clubs. But I realised definitely that 
Um, what I wanted was a connection to a football club, and definitely Spurs and Arsenal couldn't give me that. You know, I go to to Leighton, and I feel the connection that I have to the team when I spend my money in the club shop. When I buy a greasy burger at halftime, I know that my money is going somewhere. Um, it's making a difference, and it's making a difference to the community and a community close to where I live. So it, it is funny. We do have a strange football upbringing, hence why we do the Portuguese thing. But um, but yeah, I think from from a young age, we've both been huge football fans, and it's taken us a little while to kind of find our home. But um, we've been football mad ever since ever since I can remember. Yeah, that's a recurring theme that comes across in our in our podcast. Yourself, Barney? Yeah, same. I just I love playing it, of course. And I actually I started off as a a goalkeeper at school because I wasn't that good. <laughs> but um, but I think. Uh, I, I don't know. The thing that's different for me um, compared to Albert is that I think my 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 connection to the game started with characters. So though we both sort of from a young age said we supported Manu because that's what our dad said. Like I've got a real I had a real connection with Paul Scholes that as a, as a player. And so as I got older and I realised that you know I'm not really a Manu fan, but I would just say I support Paul Scholes and I got I got completely obsessed with this player that. They, <laughs> um, and I think since then on, it's it, that's the thing that I you know I haven't sort of got a team that's close to my heart like I was got with Leighton Orient I I have players you know and, and if I get that connection if I just love to watch them play I'll sort of try I'll follow their journey and then um so yeah and and interesting actually like I I moved away from the goalkeeper side I think I I, I guess it was falling in love with Paul Scholes I I just loved I I I, I want to be him and, I, and even <laughs> five aside like I, I try and play his way even though I'm, I'm not t- anywhere near <laughs> Like I should be, a, I should be a target man with my height, but instead <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to do the glamorous stuff. But yeah, I guess that's how I, that's that's where it started for me. Well, I'm a goalkeeper, and while you guys can see me, not our listeners, but I'm sporting a wrist wrist uh. brace here because I got kicked in seven aside. So that might well be the end of my career. <laughs> so you do, you both play, or you you did play? I play every week. I play twice a week. Yeah. Uh, six aside. Um, interestingly, I also injured my wrist recently when I was doing a shifting goal. Did an awful <laughs> save, done my wrist in. Um, I don't think Barney plays so much anymore, but we we both played for school teams and stuff like that. Yeah, I had a, I just I I tried to get into eleven aside when I got a bit older, and uh, uh, I found myself as a, a sort of a John O'Shea type character. You know, I would just fit in a left back occasionally, <laughs> maybe get the bench and like. <laughs> And so, yeah, <laughs> uh, it's interesting you say John O'Shea, because obviously we're talking about Portugal and you can't not talk about his nutmeg on Figo. So I was waiting. I was waiting <laughs> to see how quickly I could how quickly I could get that in. Every summer we see some of Europe's biggest clubs flying down to sunny Portugal to spend large sums of money on talented footballers. And there's Nunes. Primera Liga is considered sixth best division in Europe by UEFA. In the Primera Liga's 88-year history, Benfica, Porto or Sporting have only failed to win the title twice. Benfica is a big club, it's a school of football for life. Here's Ronaldo, another wonderful trick and he's trying another against O'Shea. Well, he's the star of the show, I've got to say. Ronaldo's
Yeah, I guess it's it's over to you guys. I mean, two brothers, that's exactly what we are as well at Pope Goal. It's myself and my brother who, who produced the magazine and, and the website. I, as I said at the, in my intro, it's not a league that we're exposed to so much. And so I'd just like to explore your kind of experience of delving into it and how you watch it and yeah, what that's like. I mean, it's obviously it's in the shadow of Spain and La Liga, but going by my limited research, I mean, it's it's ranked as kind of the sixth biggest league in the world. So outside what might be considered or, or called a top five. So yeah, just really what your experiences have been. I'll, I'll start with yourself, Albert. Um, it's a big question to kick off with. Uh, firstly, yeah. to, to kind of take the simpler side of, of that question in terms of how accessible it is. It's quite inaccessible at the moment to watch from the UK. Um, there are two, two broadcasters which have the rights to... Uh, Portuguese domestic football, BT Sport and uh, Free Sports uh, owned by Premier Sports. I believe that's yeah. an Irish company, actually. So um, yeah. they they broadcast some games on Free Sports. But unfortunately, um, they're not very consistent. So we tend to only get one game a week. BT Sport show one game with, with regularity every week. And if we're lucky, we'll get a second on on Free Sports. And that, that partly comes down to um, one of the issues that plagues Portuguese football, which is the mess that is their international TV rights distribution, which is that um, in the vast majority of leagues around the world, the league will package up the rights to every single game and then sell that on to international broadcasters for the right to broadcast uh, all the games from that league. Portugal doesn't do that. Portugal Mm. sells the rights to each game individually, which is an absolute minefield, which means it makes it very difficult for... um, for international broadcasters to pick up games when they're licensing games quite literally on a game by game basis. So BT Sport, for example, uh, will, and, and, and I respect BT Sport a lot. I'm grateful for the coverage, but essentially what they will do is go, who's top of the table? Okay, great. Well, we'll, we'll show their game this week. And there's very little kind of consideration. So that has two, two consequences, really. One, it just makes it on a simple level quite hard to watch because you're if you want to watch anything other than a big free game, you're scrabbling around the dark side of the internet for for dodgy streams, which is not really what you want to be doing. Um, if you're a fan of the league, you'd happily, you know, license and, and pay for a product that you enjoy. Um, but the other side of that is it does create quite a disparity between um, the big clubs and the small clubs in Portugal because the big clubs benefit so much from... Uh, broadcast deals and, and they're the ones who get money for games whereas the smaller clubs get barely anything there's no opportunity really for even a just a second level Portuguese club I'm not even talking about a small club here maybe even Braga or or Vitória de Guimarães you know these are big clubs with big fan bases uh, known around Europe for their involvement in the Europa League and, and the Champions League but they will struggle to get their games broadcast anywhere other than, than Portugal so it, it is a difficult league to follow, which is which is a shame because you know me and Barney talk regularly about the the great aspects of this league, but there's no point pretending that this isn't at times a frustratingly hard league to follow. I would always say that for those that make the effort, you're always rewarded um, by what you find. But um, yeah, it's it's something that we talk about quite regularly on the show. It's it's quite a regular topic of discussion amongst similar outlets to us, you know, English language uh, Portuguese football outlets who perhaps are based in America or based in the UK or based anywhere in Europe. 
Um, it's quite a big topic of discussion. I believe there is talk of a centralised television rights deal, but that will be coming in, I think it's 25, 26 seasons. So it's a few years off yet. But it is an issue at the moment and it can make it quite hard to get into, definitely. If I can continue from that, the, the you know, sort of following on from the, this TV rights disparity throughout the league, it's also the the media coverage of, of of the league as a whole. So we had um, a situation last week where, so uh, Braga, who are traditionally the fourth biggest club in Portugal and usually finish fourth and get their Europa League spot. Um, at this season, they've been absolutely fantastic. Uh, and then they're second and uh, they're playing better than Porto and Sporting at the moment. Uh, they're doing incredibly well. But uh, uh, the pre-match press conference uh, last week, uh, two reporters turned up to cover it. Uh, and and this this is sort of a, a prime example of how little regard the, the rest of the league is is given, and it, it sort of seems to be, I don't know if Albert agrees with this, but it seems to be getting worse uh, as, as the years have gone by, and and it, it's the issue is exacerbating things for the league as a whole because you mentioned there that. Um, this Portuguese is sort of considered the sixth biggest league in Europe. That there's a potential that that could change, and, and because the, the Dutch league uh, have the the not just Ajax, the other teams are stronger in Europe. But what we're seeing is the the teams outside of the big three in Portugal are getting are getting weaker. So Albert mentioned Braga and Vitoria. Vitoria is, is nowhere near the team they used to be five six years ago, and they they didn't get into the Europa Conference League this year. And it's just getting worse the further you go down the table. So it's it's a really interesting development going on in Portugal. Mm. Something that Albert and I hope will change. And Albert mentioned the centralization of the TV rights. I really hope because I think the big clubs are potentially starting to realise that there is a little issue in the in the weakness of the league as a whole, and and this dominance is isn't actually that beneficial to them. And that's down to money, like we're seeing elsewhere. So like you say, the big three are the ones getting the TV money and it's just not filtering down. I mean, what struck me, I think only five clubs have won the league since its formation. Is that correct? So, it, but then, I mean, that's not, I mean, if you if you look at the history of the Premier League, how many teams have won it? It's probably not sim- dissimilar. Or, I think the one I mean, thing that makes that statistic a bit more remarkable, though, is that also only two teams outside the big three have won the league. Both of those teams won it once each. So there's right. only two occasions in the history of the current Portuguese league that we have now where a team other than the big three has won it. So it is a bit kind of, it is a bit more dramatic than it even sounds when you first say it. But it's not restricted to Portugal. I mean, you look at Germany, for example, is it Bayern Munich 10 in a row or something like that? So it it's it's this idea of thinking of the European Super League, this, this idea of the bigger clubs getting bigger and it's not filtering down and we're seeing that in Portugal. But what strikes me about Portugal is those smaller teams i mean i don't know in comparison to english teams or irish clubs for example like they're some of them are just just not big they're not wealthy areas and we know the benficas and the portings and the sporting but what what's kind of what comes after that well you're quite right to say that these are not they're not from big areas you know i mean it's very easy to criticize a team i'm going to pick a random team here a team like morarens who got relegated from the top division last year and they were really struggling for crowds I mean we're talking crowds of less than a thousand sometimes right. for a top tier game so they're really struggling for crowds and, and, and it's easy to criticise but then you remember that the town Moreira de Conagosh is a town of something like 20,000 people so it's quite a, or even less sorry I think it might even be in the single figure thousands of people so you know these are small places 
that said there is a problem with attendances at games um and again this is another phenomenon of portuguese football which is that people tend not to support their local team um, right. or they would perhaps consider their local team their second team you know right. so they would have some fondness for them but they possibly wouldn't consider there's you know perhaps not had the same local identity that you might have in other countries not for every this is not you know i don't want to make sweeping generalization it doesn't apply to everybody but i think you know it is fair to say that in portugal um there is less of a support for the smaller teams and there's a couple of reasons for that i suppose in one sense it's it's geographical um uh, a lot of the teams are based around Porto. If you go and look at the Premier League now, I, I don't, I'm not looking at it right now, but off the top of my head, there's 18 teams. I think four are based around Lisbon. Uh, one is based in the Algarve. Two are based in the uh, islands. So that leaves 15 teams, 16 teams, or maybe a bit less, sorry. But, you know, a lot of teams all pretty much based around the Porto area or within travelling distance mm. of Porto. So there's a geographical reason, which is that if it's possible to get to Porto and it's not that far to drive, maybe it's an hour long drive. A lot, of, and a lot of people maybe work there or have family who work there or used to live there. For example, uh, there's not quite the same connection to locality. But yeah, the, the smaller clubs really do struggle with crowds. Ticket prices are cited as a big reason. You know, I've been to Portugal quite a few times to watch football now, and I found ticket prices quite reasonable. You know, perhaps twenty euros, but then you know for a top division game. But then it's easy. It's important to remember also that. In Portugal, compared to England, the the median salary or the average salary is is almost half, I think. So you know these are these are big prices compared to what to what people are earning, especially people who don't live in cities. So there's a there's a number of reasons as to why support for smaller clubs is waning. I mean, again, TV. You know, it's not like we have in in England. I'm not sure if it's the same case in Ireland. I think it is, um, where the you know you have. 90% of games kick off at 3pm and then you have one game either side for the TV. In Portugal, every single game starts sequentially. So there is never a clash of games. There's all games, very rarely, maybe on a Saturday you might get two happening at the same time. But there's basically a possibility that you could go through a weekend of football and you could sit at home and watch every single game on television, on sport TV, and one channel has all of those games. So it's very accessible to watch football on TV. You don't even have to own a TV. You could go to a cafe and they'll be showing all the games. Uh, but it's quite inaccessible to watch football in a stadium. And, and I think that is leading to, along with many other reasons why well, I don't want to claim to be an expert here, but that is leading to a lack of support for local teams um, as a kind of phenomenon in the country, which is probably happened for a long time because it didn't always used to be like that you know obviously if you look back on old photos and stuff you'll see full stadiums at you know yeah. clubs all up and down the country but definitely at this moment in time there is a kind of a problem with attendances and support for for smaller clubs sadly what i think me and albert have found though, over the past few years of covering this league is that we're starting to see smaller teams try things differently and, and uh there's there's quite a lot of teams in this top division which have been there a while. There's a sort of merry-go-round of managers. There's a merry-go-round of ex-academy players from Benfica, Sporting Porto, who never made it and a, a bit stale. But the promoted teams coming up over the past few years are doing a things a little bit differently. Estrel Pryor, who uh, last season got promoted, uh, came up to the top division and had a fantastic start to this year. They were almost in the uh, European spots, had a great coach who brought up a, a good a good start of football put together a team of interesting players you know and 
they they had great success and they're they're looking even stronger this year and and they've uh, they brought in uh, Benfica's um, ex manager Verissimo who was the caretaker manager after Jorge Jesus was sacked last season who's great with young players a great work with Benfica's B team and he's assembling a really young talented squad and and using the loan market quite well but um, from the big clubs and that that's been great and then another club. Uh, to mention is Vizela, who you know we've just been talking about the attendance of the games. They have a fantastic fan base who regularly bring out good numbers, and they've done things a little bit differently by sort of uh, getting players from Africa, getting players from lower the lower leagues of Portugal, and and putting together a, a team with who are yeah surprisingly solid, and, and it's it's a it's it's these moments of like a big breath of fresh air that have come up and and, and shown that how things can be di- diff- done differently in this league because yeah as i mentioned that, that, that there is a there is quite a, a a rotation of players and managers that we see in this league and and more of it doesn't work and it's the teams who are trying things a little bit different that seem to be having success now yeah uh, you've both been to games there what how would you describe what we like to term football culture what is the portuguese football culture compared to other countries uh yeah i i've been to a few games i've been to benfica and porto uh and a few smaller clubs as well the football culture around the stadium is not dissimilar to what you, to what you get in the uk i don't think there's a particular um cultural uniqueness you could say maybe if you talk about turkey or something you could talk about huge pyrotechnic displays and things like that maybe when you talk about germany you get huge tifo displays stuff like that portugal yeah i felt quite at home if i'm honest there was you know a good amount of singing um a good amount of uh uh heckling between home and away fans the one thing i might say is that you generally i think you get less away fans um which is not which is perhaps just my personal experience i don't know if that's the same you know all around uh, all around the country but no it's a, it's a country that loves its football um the, the the fans that do make it to the stadium are always passionate you know the small even at the smaller clubs i've been to quite a few smaller clubs um the fans are always are always up for a good time when when they're down there um but yeah the, uh, like i said i alluded to before a big part of football culture in portugal is is not obviously watching in the stadium so a lot of restaurants bars cafes will, will have big tv screens for everyday matches which is something that we don't really have in, in England. I'm not sure if it's the same in Ireland, but um, uh, but yeah, watching football communally seems a big thing, even if it's not in the stadium. I'd also add that the, the culture as well. There's a there's a they love a drama. They love a. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's some great like. Well, I say great. There's some like you know uh, antics with the referee and, and the, the 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 benches. The benches are packed with not only all the all the subs but all the the a whole like about 10 coaching staff or just random old guys in suits who regularly just <laughs> you know get books or sent off on the side of the pitch that you know there are there is a lot of a lot about uh a lot of hate towards referees because mainly for poor decisions and, and that but um yeah it's uh, and there's been a few scandals in the past as well which sort of <laughs> you can't help but think about when you see some decisions made by, you know, the the, the league or, or by referees, you, you know, there, there is that sort of element to it. But I think that adds a, a quite a nice, I, I quite like that addition to it for me compared to the Premier League, say it just, yeah, just a, a little bit more drama. 
in your most recent podcast, you did reference that um, the refereeing. I mean, everyone hates referees or, you, you know, you can go to any league and criticize refereeing decisions. But you did remark that I think you kind of compared it to error division in Netherlands is kind of on a par or the seventh ranked league. And poor refereeing is a feature as newcomers to the league looking in. Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> I think I think it is true. I mean, um, I I wonder if that's not just a problem in Portugal. I think I've even noticed that in the English Premier League, um, there's less referees going to major tournaments now from uh, the English Premier League. So I don't think it's unique to Portugal. But I wonder whether in a few in the next few years we will see refereeing kind of people will have to acknowledge that referee needs to be taken more seriously as a career because I know that a lot of referees are part-time even at quite a high level uh, around Europe and, and in the UK and stuff and so if you're trying to promote referees from a young level I don't think it's happening as well as it could do but yes unfortunately in Portugal the refereeing can leave a little bit to be desired I think and I, and I want to give specifics because I don't want to just generally say oh the refs are crap I think the things that they struggle with they struggle to contain contentious situations they right. struggle to manage games in that sense and, and you know part of that is that like Barney said it, it's crazy the amount of officials that they have on the touchline sometimes and you get all these old boys coming up you know you don't know who they are shouting get the ref and stuff like this but referees do struggle to keep a lid on games um and I you know me and Barney have discussed this before uh, because players as well do play up it, it, it's fair to say that players are part of that. You know, players in Portugal, I think, do things that they couldn't get away with in other countries. And I'm talking about, for example, time wasting, feigning injury, uh, perhaps exaggerating um, certain instances during a game, you know, when they're trying to get an opponent penalised. Um, mm. And I think players do that not because they they want to, but I think on a subconscious level, they know that they can get away with it. So there's this kind of weird... Uh, chicken and egg situation where does it start is it about refs stamping down on players is it about players respecting referees um but yeah there is that element to portuguese football where it's a little bit it's a little bit chaotic at times and you know for a neutral that can be entertaining yeah. um you look at, and, and, and to be totally honest there are countries in europe that have in my opinion done a decent job of even marketing themselves in that way i think of countries like greece and, and turkey where they people kind of get into it because they know you're going to get a little bit of drama, a little bit of chaos, and it's yeah. going to be a bit unpredictable. And I think Portugal, in some ways, has to ask itself, what route does it want to go down? Does it want to go down the Turkey and Greece route? Because if they want to, they can. And I think they will achieve something by doing that. They will achieve a certain amount of notoriety. But I don't think that's what they want. I don't think that's what this league is about. I think this league is better than that. I think the players are better than that. The, clubs are better than that um but i think if they they do need to improve it and i think they do need to make changes uh starting from the top down um and and to the credit credit to the league there have been some small changes there portugal is the first country that's going to trial stop clock games 60 minute games um where they stop the clock to avoid time wasting that's not going to be in the professional leagues they're going to trial that in a youth competition i believe oh, wow. but portugal is one of the first countries to, to trial that so there is something happening but they do need to get real because you know at the moment there's a little bit of an edge to games and and, and it can be entertaining but then it, it can be frustrating and just to give a quick example you know we watched benfica versus uh Vizela 
the other week. That might have been the episode you listened to, actually. Um, it was a recent game, an example, when Vizela, Tina Barney mentioned a small team, a plucky up-and-coming team. They go to the Estadio de Luz. Um, they play great first half. They get a goal on the counter-attack. They're defending well. You know, they're holding this giant club to a 1-0 um, to a one nil win. Second half, Benfica come out much better, and you sense they're going to get the win. They get the first goal back. They look good. And then the referee kills the game with two horrendous decisions, misses a clear blatant penalty. VAR doesn't help him out. And then gives a terrible penalty, which was never a pen, um, completely over the top. So Benfica end up winning this game. The referees made a mess of it. Everyone, you know, after a really promising first half or first hour of football where we're talking about a great game between great clubs, um, playing great football against each other, really kind of going head to head and then referee makes two bad decisions, kills the game. And all anyone's talking about after the game is why is he such a bad ref? You know, it, it's, it's, it does, it can have a really bad effect. It can ruin games. You know, it, it, it is at that point, unfortunately. Hmm. Finally, Albert mentioned that the Portuguese don't necessarily support their local teams. And there's a kind of recurring themes in our episodes of even countries like France looking for uh, centralised TV deals and this idea of what does football culture mean supporting your local teams? Do they look to Spain uh, or is it the Premier League? What What is it about those smaller clubs where people don't necessarily get in as involved? Because to us, I mean, Portugal, the national team, I think is ranked number nine in the world. Uh, so to the outsider, it's a football mad nation. But outside, again, those big clubs, what what is your experience of the culture there? I think one of the, the huge things in, in Portugal is the fact that, you know, Albert mentioned there's a lot of clubs sent around the Porto area, a lot of clubs around the Lisbon area. The youth academies of ben, uh, Benfica, Porto and Sporting hoover up all the young talent. And, and uh, I think all of us as, as football fans will say, like, but if you're supporting a club, it's it's the your local team. It's, it's the young players coming through, the local lad, you know. And in Portugal, you, you rarely get that as much because the big three will just spot the talent, get them into their academies at a very young age. And the reality is it's very hard for these players to actually get to the first team. And then eventually, you know, they've, they've, they've been living in sport, uh, Lisbon for X amount of years and they don't really know where to go. And, and so I think that that does bring a sort of disconnect uh, to, to some areas and for some teams, because more often than not, you, the, the squad you're assembling is a sort of a mis- like a mismatch. You know, uh, last season, Gilles Vicente uh, got into the Europa Conference League places and were a fantastic team assembled of players who had you know been playing in Latvia uh, a, a, a young person from the the J League you know just a, a real mismatch of players assembled together but it it just worked in that moment and but what happens next season is that this team's been ransacked and, and there's barely yeah. there's barely the same team left and so these clubs really have that sort of continuity of, of, of squad really and, and so it can be hard to sort of make a connection I think one thing that's potentially changing in that area is um, I think it's UEFA's ruling about the amount of players a, a team can have on out on loan we've already seen sort of you know Benfica selling Jota to Celtic for example you know he was he, he's somebody who they probably would loan up for a few more seasons and then integrate him to the into the first team and so the big clubs are now having to sell these these younger talents and um, so a, f- a few a few clubs in the in the league are, are benefiting from that, having picked them up uh, this transfer window. So 
sorry, I feel like I, I, I've sort of veered off from the, the original question, but I guess what I'm trying to say is um, the dominance of the big threes affects the, the rest of the league in terms of the squads they assemble. Yeah, um, I'm interested because in each episode, your most recent episode, again, you're talking about a transfer window. Is there a kind of trend of what countries Portuguese teams tend to recruit? I mean, you mentioned Julian Draxler, who people would be familiar with, Germany. I imagine there's a quite a conveyor from Port, uh, from Brazil, for example. Is there a kind of traditional recruitment route into Portugal? Yeah, definitely. Um, well, within Portugal is obviously a big one, like Barney's mentioned. But from outside Portugal, it, South America, of course, is a big one. Brazil, uh, but not just Brazil, Argentina, Uruguay. You know, Darwin Nunez is a, although he came from Spain, a South American player who came to Portugal. Um Luis Diaz, South America as well, but the big, big South American leagues, Brazil and Argentina, and those players will see Portugal as a great first stepping mm. stone. That's the perspective of the big clubs because they will look to, you know, Benfica, Porto, Sporting will look to the top Brazilian and uh, Argentinian and South American clubs for their players. But there's a lot of South American recruitment from the smaller clubs as well, uh, Brazil, of course, for smaller clubs. But smaller clubs in, in, in Portugal will recruit from. Well, from anywhere, really. I mean, obviously, Portugal is a big one, but um, there's a lot of recruitment from smaller leagues in Europe. They do a good job of picking up perhaps Portuguese players who've been journeymen around Europe, maybe Greece, Cyprus, or even smaller clubs than that. They'll do a good job of keeping tabs on where those players are going because they can pick them up relatively cheaply. Um, uh, There's been an emergence of recruitment from Japan, actually, and there was traditionally one club, Portimonense, who have a Japanese owner, so they were getting a lot of Japanese players in. But um, there's been other clubs that have, have dipped into the Japanese market quite a lot. I think, if I'm right, Brian, we've seen signings from Japan that mm. in the last three or four windows. Um, so yeah, the recruitment is is happening all around all around the world, really. Um, but it's it's also worth saying that I, I think it's fair to say that, although it's an obvious thing to say, the the biggest market is the domestic market and you know it's it's players uh, you know Barney does rightly say that the bigger clubs will pick up players at youth level uh from the other from the smaller clubs but then it does work the other way around that smaller clubs can then pick up youth players who don't make it at the big three um, and they can pick up players from the smaller leagues as well so um international scouting does happen and you know a lot of the smaller clubs don't have huge budgets for international scouting although they will probably you do see a trend of clubs picking maybe one country to have a scouting network like brazil like japan for example um but then yeah domestic is definitely the by far the biggest source of transfers brazil obviously is for me is 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 the most interesting one because that, that's sort of the main reason i wanted to look into the portuguese league. if you look at the history of them, uh, Brazilian players who've come through Portugal, you know, uh, like Edison, David Luiz, uh, Rafinha, like it, it, the list is endless, really. And it's not just the big three picking these players up. Like I was saying, it's, it's the smaller clubs as well who identify these players. And then Rafinha, sorry, is a, to go back to him, is a, is a great example. He, who's now at Barcelona, obviously, but he he arrived in uh, Portugal at Vitória de Guimarães and then went to Sporting. And then, so he went from the Vitória de Guimarães to Sporting for a couple of mil and then went from sporting mm. to um is it was it Rennes or somewhere in France for a lot more money so that that that's a regular pattern that you see you know some it's it's actually just sometimes the smaller clubs are unearthing these gems from mm. from Brazil this is sort of the other end of the transfer market which I've, I've found quite interesting recently is 
we're seeing the, the the Middle East look at the Portuguese league for four players. So whereas a lot of the smaller clubs would have been able to keep their their good players more, you know, they obviously sell a few. We're sort of uh, the the Saudi Pro League, for example, are, are have identified the Portuguese league as a, a good place to get cheap but good talent, and so a lot of players are leaving this league. Players that Albert and I really rate, and and you know, in a season or two, we could have seen them playing for one of the big three clubs or a big club in Europe. But instead, they're being tempted by, and um, you know, no, uh, don't blame them at all. Vast a lot more money in in the Middle East and moving there. So that's seeing a bit more of a evolution in this league as well. Um, so yeah, it's 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 interesting to see how it's changing over the years. You know, it, traditionally it was we'll sign some players from Brazil, we'll use our, our our local talent as well, and we'll we'll make our money. And now clubs are having to be a bit smarter, looking to elsewhere in the world. Like I said, Japan is, is is seems to be the new one for a lot of clubs at the moment. Yeah, it's fascinating to see. Just as I said, just that a league or a country just under the radar of the clubs and the players we're used to, what the culture is like there. Uh, we can't talk about Portugal without talking about Cristiano, but I'm not talking about Ronaldo. I'm talking about a guy called <laughs> Cristiano Fitzgerald. Absolutely. Which has really piqued interest in Ireland. Yes. We seem to be exporting kids to leagues beyond England now, like Serie A, the Bundesliga. But this is an 18-year-old, uh, a dad from Limerick and a mother from France who has signed a professional contract with Boa Vista. But I get by reaction, you know of this guy. So tell us more, because... We're, we're very excited, just by his name. <laughs> yeah, I know, it's a fantastic name, isn't it? Cristiano Fitzgerald. Um, I, I, I've never seen him play, unfortunately, because he signed that professional contract with Boa Vista in the last couple of weeks. Right. So he's only ever played at, at youth level, but I understand that he's you know, highly regarded by, by Boa Vista and um, they have good hopes for him. But yeah, very, very interesting character. You know, like, like you, you know, we were always keen when you know, English or Scottish or Irish players come to play in Portugal it doesn't happen very often. So uh, we're definitely very excited by Cristiano Fitzgerald as well. I, I'm optimistic that we'll see him make his professional debut this season because right. if they've given yeah. him a kind of professional contract. It's it's definitely not impossible that he will feature, you know, from the bench or definitely in a cup game. The cup competitions are about to start soon. So I would definitely say for anybody listening, keep an, keep an eye on Burvis to follow them on, on Twitter or something so you can see when they're playing. Or follow you guys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we'll keep an eye out for him definitely. I mean, Bovis is so uh, are one of the the five clubs to have won the league. So that that there was is really really famous, and they're a really interesting club at because they've gone through a really turbulent time. They were um, they was uh, an owner from uh, Luxembourg who owns a, a French team as well. He he came in a few years back, and there was high hopes. They even had a uh, Javi Garcia on the books. You know, the uh, the famous uh, Spanish player and it was quite an exciting a lot of buzz around them they they spent quite a bit of money and 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 it's recently like lots of news uh has come out about his he's basically seems to be a guy who just purchases a club and then ruins it financially i, I think bordeaux is his other club i think just went down is it two leagues in france but anyway so it's a bovis have had to sort of reshape themselves and so they are actually looking to to youth players more this season which has been uh, really good see so I, I do think we will see him at some point but also uh, another little uh, Irish link is that they have a uh, Gaius Makuta on their books who used to play for Longford Town many moons ago <laughs> wow 
Okay. Yeah, I recently wrote an article about him uh, for Portugal.net, uh, looking into his crazy history. But uh, that yeah. was one of the things that got core interest is the fact that you know he, he's um, he's Congolese. He grew up in France, ends up at Longford Town for a, a little while, and then uh, went to Greece and uh, Bulgaria. And now he's playing for Boa Vista in uh, in, in Portugal and, and doing really well. One of the best midfielders in the in the league. So yeah, Boa Vista is a, a great club for people to keep an eye on. Amazing. I mean, it was tongue-in-cheek. I did mention Cristiano Ronaldo, who, of course, came through the league as a, as a teenager. You know, an icon for the league to promote. I mentioned at the top top of the programme about Eusebio. I mean, it's it's not a huge country, about 10 million people, I think. And to have two of the, the greatest players of all time, really. I guess the Ronaldo phenomenon feeds its way into coverage of the league. Um, I think there was an absolute storm this summer, just at the idea that Cristiano could potentially maybe come back to sporting. Wow. It was, it was, you know, it was probably discussed on, I don't, unfortunately don't watch the Portuguese uh, news or anything like that, but I'm sure it was discussed at length on all the football channels, just the possibility of him coming home. Um, it's kind of rumoured that he will do it, before he retires I think it's probably still too soon um but yeah he you know like you say Portugal is a very very proud country and it's very easy to forget especially for myself it's very easy to forget that it is a small country you know my perspective on Portugal you know the the first time I really encountered Portugal as a footballing country was in 2004 in the Euros and all England fans will know how that ended with Ricardo taking his gloves off and absolutely dumping us out of the Euros. And I remember from that moment kind of seeing Portugal as, oh, that's one of those countries that's better than us. You know, just Mm -hmm. there's these countries all around Europe, you know, France, Italy, Germany, Spain, Portugal. These are just those teams that will never be as good as. So it's easy to forget that it's actually a very small country. Only 10 million people, the population, um, produce some absolutely incredible footballers. You look around the world of football today, Bernardo Silva, Ruben Diaz, all these incredible players, um, fantastic footballers. The quality of, of footballers that they produce is just, just mind blowing. And 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 when you go to Portugal, and and you and you spend time there, you realise it's a very humble place, uh, mm. a very humble country. You know, this is not a country which has millions of pounds to spend on incredible resources for kids at school. This is not a country that can has the luxury of investing in football academies all around the country. This is you know a country that relies really on passion pride and and just talent really and, and it's it is amazing how much they've achieved I, I have great respect for for what they've achieved internationally um in recent years and you know it, like I said it's almost funny for me that because when you speak to Portuguese people I'm sure they won't mind me saying but they almost they do have a kind of almost like a small country complex in a way you know yeah. feeling like a small country in the way I see because we obviously interact with a lot of Portuguese national team fans now they kind of the, the way they they kind of consider themselves as underdogs in this small country whereas as an outsider I've always looked at Portugal with great respect and great envy for for what they've achieved you know and the players that they've produced. Because it's interesting to think of Cristiano Ronaldo and Eusebio because you sort of have Eusebio who was at the peak of his powers whilst playing for Benfica in, in Portugal and the difference with Ronaldo is that obviously Ronaldo got plucked from a very young age and that sort of shows the evolution that I guess Portuguese football has gone on the fact that you know they regularly create these in, incredible players, but they are going at a, a much earlier age now to elsewhere in Europe. And 
yeah, I think the the, the Cristiano thing is, you know, because he he would have just increased inspired so many more kids. You know, I, you, we had Figo before that, but mm-hmm. I think the the quality of player we're going to see come out of Portugal is just going to get better and better, in my opinion, because of the sort of because of Ronaldo, because just how it just you know we sort of circling back to the beginning of our conversation about football culture in Portugal, but like you know. We've talked about fans not not being interested in the smaller teams, or perhaps painting a picture of a lack of interest. But that's you know that's completely not the point. With it, this is a country obsessed with football. I mean, you can't have a greater role model than one of the greatest to ever play the game. Some people may be familiar, but even looking into his upbringing, what what poverty he came from, and I think I I wasn't aware. I, I read today that his mother wasn't when she was pregnant with him was concerned about even keeping the baby they were so poor and so when you think of where where he came from and where he achieved uh i do have a funny story about that 2004 game i'm i live in london and it coincided with the pride festival if i remember it i watched it in an irish bar in the center of london and it was just this incredible image of despondent england fans mingling with glitter <laughs> and flesh and it just yeah it was a very weird image but it's my memory of it uh lads we're almost at the end i could talk for ages it's been fascinating as i said it's a it's a country that's considered a powerhouse but then when you look at their domestic game we're just not exposed to it and what comes across in your podcast is your passion for it and how how would it attracted you guys and the culture that's there and so to kind of sum up how would you entice us to watch Portuguese football or what is it that that sucked you in well the thing I always say about the Portuguese league is it has the perfect balance of familiarity and exoticism it has the familiarity of these iconic uh, iconic brands that we know Benfica, Porto, Sporting iconic players like you just mentioned Figo, Ronaldo all those type of players but it has so much to discover as well as soon as you even watch one game of Premier League of football you know, I'm sure a lot of your viewers are based in the UK if they've got BT Sport check out at the weekend there'll be a game from the Portuguese League this weekend you watch one of the big three I guarantee you Whilst you'll know the badge, you'll know the stadium, you'll know the history, you'll probably only be able to name one or two players. You're going to discover so much just by watching just by watching one game. And it has so much to offer the Portuguese league. It has wonderful players, really, really amazing footballers, um, technical footballers as well. You know, these are players who have great skill, great technical ability, um, great young players as well. I mean, this is the thing. This summer, we did quite a few features on other podcasts about all these young players who were being signed by big clubs, Arsenal, uh, you know, Darwin Nunes went to Liverpool and all these people were talking to us saying, you know, oh, we've never watched this player before. What can you tell us about him? And you get to watch these players um, at their formative stage. And it's it's a fascinating league to follow from that sense. Um it's a great community to be part of as well. As soon as you get involved with Portuguese football fans, you know, you have a great laugh. People are so friendly, so welcoming. Um, we get a lot of messages on Twitter about people who say they're going to go to Portugal and should they catch a game. I cannot recommend it enough. Um, it's a very accessible place to go to. Um, once you're there, it's a very, very easy place to get around. Everything's not too expensive. The games are nice and easy to get to. So it's a league that offers so much to discover whilst also you know, fulfilling stuff that you know about iconic teams, 
there'll be players that you recognise, you go, oh, I remember him from a season in the Prem. Uh, but then you'll also discover, you know, the next kid who in five years' time is going to be starting for Real Madrid or Barcelona or Chelsea or wherever it is. So um, there's so much to discover, so much to enjoy. Yeah, or long for a time. <laughs> exactly. Barney, anything, your your concluding thoughts? Yeah, I, I would just... My, my thing is just the, the the talent that's coming out of this 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 league, and we know we've seen Jurgen Klopp sort of look to the Portuguese league quite a lot. He's seen that he, he sort of appreciates the the player that this is produced from playing in Portugal. Um, of PSG obviously just picked up Vitinha. I think the the more more interesting thing will be that other clubs, you know, Wolves is have picked up a a, play, a winger from Estoril prior uh, last last uh, winter, you know, and I think more and more clubs across Europe, the teams that a lot of your listeners uh, will will follow, will be looking to this league to find that next uh, bright young thing, and and they're they're littered throughout this league, you know, that there's 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 so much talent. So yeah, that would be my thing. There's a lot of unearthed gems, in, like just waiting to be discovered in this league. And if Excellent. we didn't allude to it already, if you like a little bit of drama, we've got plenty of that as well. <laughs> I should say there's a there's an Irish uh, Twitter account. Con Murphy is a broadcaster. He's a big League of Ireland man and he's a commentator on Portuguese football. Very good account to follow. But likewise, tell us where we can follow you, you guys. Uh, we know Con very well. We actually interviewed Con Murphy last, oh, last season. So Con's a good friend of ours. Uh, you can probably, if you search on our podcast thing, You'll find our interview with Con. It's really interesting. He's a he's yeah. a great friend of ours, and he's a great uh, he's, his knowledge of football is fantastic. And it's yeah. a real pleasure to have Con Murphy as a commentator on Portuguese football because um, he's so knowledgeable. Uh, but yeah, so you can go and find that on our podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. Um, it, it should be everywhere. And if it's not, just drop us a message on Twitter, and we'll make sure it gets out there. It's long ball football. It's football spelt the Portuguese way. So it's F U T E B O L. And we're on Twitter. It's at LongBallFootball. Uh, we're also on Instagram. We don't use it that much, but you can find us there. Um, and it's all just at LongBallFootball. It's nice and simple. Excellent. I highly recommend it. I've, I've discovered it and I'm delving into it and I'm thoroughly enjoying it. So, Albert and Barry, thanks very much for joining us. Thank oh, you so you much, mate. James. Cheers. And that's it for the latest episode of the Poker Gold podcast. Subscribe wherever you get your pods and toggle back for previous shows. And order your copy of Ireland's only football publication online at pogmagold.com. Join us next time on the Pogmagold podcast.